We are on Genesis chapter 39 tonight. Genesis chapter 39. If you were <clears throat> up on Facebook, gave you a little review up there that Joseph, of course, has been forced into slavery, forced into serving a man of that was not his choosing. And then his wife tried to force him to do things that were wrong, possibly even using her position of authority over him since he was a slave. So it made me think, how many situations are we in that are forced upon us, or at least we feel forced? Situations in which we think we don't have many choices. Our choices are limited. This is a tactic of the enemy. It is to put you in situations where you seem to have no choice but to do what you know is wrong, or at least compromised. And many Christians fall. So we're going to take a look at how Joseph handles this in Genesis 39. We will get through the entire chapter here tonight. Again, to review the four levels of understanding, because we will come back to this a few times. First off, it's the first level was the flesh. I know what Scripture states. I know what this Scripture says, and I just try and understand this Scripture and and pull out some kind of a meaning for it. A mind or soul or a reasoning level. I see the concept Scripture is teaching. I've looked at several Scriptures on that topic and just reason out what I think Scripture means to me. There's the wisdom level. level. The Holy Spirit shows me how to live, what I understand. And then the revelation level, the Holy Spirit opens up my eyes to see more than I've ever seen before. Last week we were looking at how Joseph had to get beyond the first two levels that the people around him were uh, captivated by and to pursue its meaning, which is something that he would do over the years. We don't know how long it would take him to determine the dream's meaning. But do know this, if God gives you a dream, and take a look at all the people that were in the Word of God who received a dream, who was the intended target to know what the dream meant? Every single dream in the Word of God, the intended target of the dream, is the one who needs to know what it means. Even when the person who heard the dream was not born again or following after God. If God gave it to them, they had to come to an understanding because somehow their position was instrumental in getting this done. In this case, Pharaoh had to have the understanding of the dream. If Joseph is the only one who has the understanding of the dream that Pharaoh gets, the two dreams that he gets, then nothing will come of it. Pharaoh is is needed in that area. The same thing with the king of Babylon. It was necessary that he come to an understanding of that dream. It made no difference that Daniel would have an understanding of the dream if the king did not know the dream came from God. He needed to get the understanding, and when he had the understanding, then he was able to put those things into play. So when God gives us a dream, I am the person that needs to have the understanding more so than anyone else. Sometimes God used other people to help get that understanding there, but the person who received the dream, they are the one that was important that they understand the dream. Verse 1 of chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down, down there, and The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, you can imagine the whole time that you're on this journey. He's been captured. He's been sold to the Ishmaelites. 
and they in turn take him on down to Egypt and sold him there. He, he's wondering the whole time, you know, who, who do I get sold to? Where am I? What's going to become of me? And he's not sure. He's not in control of this. Whatever is going to happen is going to be because other people have done it. Other people are bringing it upon him. But it says the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. Now, how do you become successful as a slave? Most people would see that if I'm a slave, I'm not successful. Any level of success I get is uh, hampered or hindered because I'm a slave. I'm not free. But the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. So even though he was... He had this restriction of being a, a slave. God was able to be with him and God was able to bring him into a place of being a success. Now the person he was sold into, Potiphar, he's the one who buys him. He is an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian. So we, he's got this whole list of things here. He is an officer of Pharaoh, so we know he is one of Pharaoh's Officer, not just someone in the army, not just someone who's in the uh, in the uh, ruling class. He is someone that is closely associated with Pharaoh. He is near to him. It's called a, the captain of the guard. And we're going to see this phrase, captain of the guard, pop up a number of times. What's in- interesting about the word guard is that it is also a word that is translated butcher. Because of its tendency to also be called a butcher, it is sometimes seen that the captain of the guard is also the executioner. And in charge of those who would be executed or would, would die. Um, don't really know which way that, it, that this is going. As we can tell from here, he is not the butcher. But he could be the captain of the guard and could have some, some uh, jurisdiction over those that are kept in prison and those that are kept uh, as as far as uh, being executed is concerned. So what do you think Joseph's first duties were? If you were Potiphar, you just bought this guy, you don't know anything about him, what are the first duties? So the first duties that you're going to give a, a slave are going to be pretty menial, pretty low end. We don't know what we can trust him with. We don't know what he can do. So you're going to be giving him some things, but whatever apparently that Potiphar put in his hand, he was successful with it. He was prospering with it. He decided then let's give him more. Let's put more things in his hand. As he put more things in his hand, he became successful with that. And then as he became successful with that, Potiphar put more. So there's always this level of growth, always this level of, of trust that goes on with this. Much like we have a system set up here, it's not a, a, a slave system. But uh, people that are teens, people that are in high school, there are job opportunities for them. And these are low-level jobs. These are just, uh, you know, McDonald's, Burger King's, pizza places, um, things of, of this nature, in which you go in and you just take a low-level job. And, and no matter who you are, you start at the bottom. That's uh, The bottom, generally, I, I had a fast food job. The bottom is washing dishes. Because how bad can you mess anything up washing dishes? I mean, maybe you don't get the dishes clean, but if you don't get them clean, when the waitresses are putting them out on the table, they see this isn't clean and they, they don't put it out there. So there's some catches that you can have. But if you, um, if you can successfully operate the, uh, the washing and the, 
and, and taking care of the dishes. Then uh, they figure that, well, we can advance them up and then put them into other places. In our particular restaurant, if you graduated from the area of washing dishes, then uh, you would you would graduate to the make table, but you wouldn't graduate to the part of putting ingredients on. The person who made the ingredients was the the king of the make table, and so you would get started at something like uh, rolling the dough, because we would have uh, different stations, and so there's one station there you rolled the dough, and you made the dough flat and put it into the pizza pan. That was your job, and then you you shoved it on over to the next guy, and sometimes the pizza dough guy would also put the sauce on. That's pretty easy to put the sauce on. We had three different ladles there, large, medium, and small. All you got to do is dip the ladle into the sauce and then pour that into the pizza pan, slide it all around, and send it on over to the next guy. Pretty much anybody could do that. In the words of Charles Barkley, any knucklehead can uh, can operate that aspect of it. But then you go on to the next spot, and the next spot was cheese. And you have to make sure that you get the right amount of cheese on there. If you put too much cheese on, the restaurant's not making enough money. If you don't put enough cheese on, the people aren't getting what they paid for. The pizza's not going to taste that good. So you got to make sure that you uh, you did all that. And so if you graduated from the dough and the sauce area, you could become a cheeser. And you could put the cheese on. And sometimes a cheeser would also work on some of the ingredients like pepperoni. Pepperoni takes a long time, to, a longer time to put on. Because you got to you know spread them all on out into the, the pizza one at a time. It's like dishing cards out. It's like just uh, shuffling cards. You just get them on out there. But you got to split them on up. And, and have them going out. So sometimes the cheeser would also do the pepperoni, but then the rest of the ingredients would go down to the, the king of the make table. This is the guy who's in charge of the make table, and he would be over there, and he would uh, put on the rest of the ingredients. And what they would always try and get us to understand on the make table is, more is not better. And it was hard to get some people to understand that, and they would even try it. Look, if you're going to make your own pizza, try it sometime. Do it the way that we have portioned it out and then do it uh, your sloppy way and just throw whatever you want to on there and see which one tastes better. He said, we've experimented with this. We have played with this. And we had determined that this mixture of ingredients, the way we have it weighed out, it tastes better and doggone if they were not right. I've, I've tasted some of the pieces where it's just kind of slopped on and other ones where it's uh, measured out and uh, and you can get going with that. But um, when you got busy on the make table, and, and things were really flying, you didn't have time to weigh every ingredient out. So the experienced people in the make table, they knew what four ounces of an ingredient was. And they could grab it in their hand, this is four ounces, and they could scatter it around and, and uh, put that out there, this is three ounces, this is whatever it was. And you'd have to be able to do that. So if you're going to run the make table on a busy night like a Saturday or a Friday, Friday was the biggest night, if you're going to hit it on, on there, then then that's what you would do. And then from there, if you graduated from that level, then you could be the king of the kitchen and this is the person who ran the ovens. And if you had a busy pizza restaurant, the person who ran the ovens was uh, uh, not quite a superhero, but close. Because they would get you flying around for a series of four hours. There were no breaks. There was no injury timeouts. If you got burned, if you got hurt, you kept on playing. You kept on going. There was no, there was no one to sub in. You were it. And I got injured and I made it all the way up. I was the, I was the oven guy. And, uh, and I got burned a number of times. I still have some of the scars from the burns. Because when you take the pliers and you slide the pizza on in, they, the way we did ours, though just not everybody's, but the way we had ours, we grabbed the, the, the pliers, you had to keep turning them around and do things, and if you slipped on the pliers, your hand was going up into the heat source of the oven. 
and then you got burned. And every time you put your arm back into the oven, the heat would make the burn feel all that much worse. It didn't matter. You had to keep going. You had to be a high energy person. You had to be a person who didn't need breaks. You had a person who had, who thrived on the intensity of the job. And oh, I, I had so much fun with that job. By the time I left, they were just getting ready to get rid of those ovens because they had a hard time finding people who could run them. And I was so glad because the ones they brought in were those conveyor belt ones. Have you seen those ones like Domino's uses? The conveyor belts, you put it in one end, it comes out the other end. Uh, yeah, who, any, any knucklehead can run that. It was just, uh, it was no fun. But we would have these things going on. And I've told you some before, some of the battles that Tony, he was the king of the make table. And I became one of the kings of the, the ovens. And we had our Friday night positions. I was on the ovens. He was on the make table. And we would bust on each other all night long just to kind of help pass the time. He would say, the day asked for that bubble in that pizza because you're supposed to pop the bubbles see them and uh and they asked for that pizza to be burned and he would be busted on me i pull a pizza out of the oven slap it down there in front of him that they asked for both of those pepperonis to be touching each other and he just would laugh at me he'd split them up and he would get them in there but we had a good time with it we enjoyed it but you know there was a, a graduation you would move yourself on up on on things and there was other things to to do in there as well be the beside those positions but it gives you the idea right now anymore we're not giving the kids those opportunities to uh, go out there and have these low-level jobs begin to learn what an employee is, what it means to show up on time, what it means to work hard, what it means to um, take orders. All these things are not being taught to the kids like they once were. And uh, there's a suffering that goes on. But Joseph probably started at the bottom. He probably was put out there in the in the fields, you know, take care of the, the, the poop in the, in the dens or whatever it might be. Now, he might be thinking, boy, when I was working for my father, that he had me doing a whole lot more things. He might be thinking himself, you know, I'm better than this. I shouldn't have to be doing these kind of things. I, he might even be trying to, some people, I don't know that Joseph would, but some people might want to be telling, look, you don't know who you got here. I've got a lot of talent. I've got a lot of abilities. I've, uh, I've run farms like this. But as far as we know, he just did whatever was put there. And the man, Potiphar, saw the Lord was with him. Now, this is a man who worshipped idols. This is not a man who worshipped Jehovah. But he saw that the God of Joseph was with Joseph and that the God of Joseph caused the things in Joseph's hand to prosper. How does a secular person, a heathen, see that God causes what is in this man's hand to prosper? How does he see that? What is it that goes on with Joseph? How intense must be the... The effort that he puts in, the wisdom he had in solving things, he probably had some problems that other guys would just be stumped with and all of a sudden Joseph has an answer. How, how does he figure out how to do this? He might even go up to Joseph and ask, how do you know to do that? My, I, I asked my God and he told me. I'm sure Joseph was probably very forthcoming about that. I asked my God and he told me. I asked my God what to, what to do here and he said to, to do this and it, and it worked. And so this man saw that Joseph, his God, and the relationship he had with his God caused everything that he had to to work. Now, if he saw that his God was with him in his work, then he knew that the relationship that Joseph had with his God was important. And because of the type of person that Joseph was, he probably saw that the God that Joseph had had morals had certain things that he would do, had certain things that he required. And Joseph always did them. Joseph probably stayed with kosher meats because uh, uh, of things that were 
that were good. They probably had certain things that they were to eat and certain things that they were not to eat. And we know that even before the law came that the Hebrews had certain things that they would do and certain things that they would not do. And Joseph held to them, even though none of his people all around. Why do you do that? Because my God wants me to do this. I'm not going to eat meat sacrificed to idols because my God doesn't want me to do that. And Potiphar probably had some meat that was sacrificed to idols. They probably brought it in and Joseph said, no, I'm not going to eat that. So there was something that was shown there that not only was Joseph worked prospered because of his God, but Joseph honored the Lord and everything that he did. And so he saw this in all the years that he was there with him. He saw that Joseph was a moral man, that Joseph did things that were right, that Joseph did things that were good when given the opportunity to not do it, to be dishonest, to steal. He didn't take it. Potiphar sees this all this time. This is having an impact on him. He knows the Lord is with him. Now we also know from the word that he lived in Potiphar's house. That was uh, Potiphar had a pretty nice house and he lived in it. In verse 3, And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So little by little he's put more and more into his hand and he's seeing whatever I put into this hand is good. And because he sees that Joseph is so guided by the morals of his God, he begins to put things in his hand and not take account. Joseph, did you make the deposit today? Yeah, you want to see the receipt? No, as long as you made it, it's fine. Joseph, did you do this today? Yeah, do you want to see the... No, as long as you did it, it's fine. Just write it down and you know keep track. Whatever you did, I'm sure was right. This is the kind of relationship. So if you are going to trust Joseph with everything in your house, all your money, all your goods, all your supply, everything in the house is under Joseph's care. Joseph could take it if he wanted. He could steal it. He could hide it away somewhere if he wanted to. Then Potiphar no doubt knows that his God is with him in what he does. And Joseph orders his behavior by the morals of his God. He knows this about him. And he trusted about him because he puts everything in his hand. He left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Can you imagine being that out of touch with what it is that you do? And Joseph has to like this. How many people like when people trust you? I had customers when I was down the shore and I was doing the routes down there that trusted me. One of them, the, the largest account we had on the on the whole place, they didn't look at anything that I did. I walked in there, I made up the order. I took their inventory. I rotated their stock. After I made up the inventory, I unloaded all the stuff on the truck. I took it all upstairs. They had all their stuff in the upstairs area. I took it all upstairs. I rotated all the new stuff in with all the old stuff, put the old stuff out in front and put it all the way. No one checked me in. Not a single person checked me in. I would take it on down, and all they would do is they would sign it, go over there to the office. I'd take it over to the office. I'd show them the uh, the order. They would write a check for me, and I would go on my way. 
I had some some customers who they would let me take up over the entire thing. Whatever we need, you just make sure I don't run out. I don't care what you put in there. Make sure I don't run out. And some of them, one guy, he would even have me write the check. He said he would he'd sign the check. This didn't happen overnight. This happened over time. But he would sign a check. He'd put it out in the counter. And when I came in, he says, well, the check's over there. Just fill it out. He didn't even want to stop and take the time to fill it out. I'd write in the, you know, the Keltzner's horse riders and I'd write in the amount. I'd write in the amount for him on his little, little, uh, area over there, his little, uh, check stub. And then I would go my way. See, it helped me because I wasn't waiting for somebody to write a check and it helped them because they didn't have to stop what they were doing. So it benefited everybody, but you don't get to that point overnight. There has to be a certain amount of trust that is built. And Joseph has built this trust with him. All this is put in there because it's important for us to know this is the kind of relationship that Potiphar had with him. In verse 7, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, Lie with me. Now, uh, Joseph probably is not ignorant. He saw the eyes that she was making and he knew what she was intending. And of course, she'd, uh, after he probably wasn't getting the subtle hints, he apparently was a little more boisterous and and that just came on out there and and as the scripture says here, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I. Nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. So this didn't happen one time. It happened on a number of occasions. Now look at this verse there. There is no one greater in this house than I. This is not a prideful man. But he's telling him right there. There is no one. Now no one in the house. Now who's in the house? She's in the house. Potiphar's in the house. Isn't that right? There is no one greater in the house but me, I run it all. In fact, if your husband, basically, he's not saying this, but you could say this, if your husband died today, this house would still go on. But if I died today, this house wouldn't operate the same way. It, it would take a hit. But he says here, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How'd that conversation go? Did Potiphar actually come up to Joseph and say, now, now look, Joseph, I want to let you, let you know everything in my house is at your disposal. You take care of it. You do what you want, except for my wife. You leave, you take your hands off my wife. Do you think he had that conversation? Do you think he needed to have that conversation? I don't think he needed to have that conversation. I don't think he ever said anything like that to Joseph at all. But Joseph knows, uh-uh, not only are you my master's wife, but you are someone else's wife. No. My my God says this. He knows that God would have put this to him. And probably the only way he can get her to understand is for her to understand that her husband says no. And he's listening to the husband. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Not against the husband. Against God. So it was that she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Now, Joseph is the great organizer. We know this. He is the planner. He's the guy who can see all the way down the road. He can plan for it. He can get, get this thing taken care of. Do you not think that Joseph made plans for this? 
Do you think that anything in this ca- caught him by surprise? When the, when the woman started making eyes at him, he's probably talking to the other staff members. Guys, I might need your help on this. When she started to be verbally uh, aggressive and say, I, w- I want you to do this, he said, guys, I'm in trouble. Do not leave me in this house alone. Make sure no matter what happens, I am not in this house alone. Do whatever it is that you can do. And so then this woman begins to set out and look for an opportunity to get him in the house alone. And every time that she does, someone pops up to help Joseph because Joseph has set this up. And after the, and after something was foiled and some guy came in and interrupted what she was trying to do, he probably wanted to thank you. I so appreciate you guys doing this. I, I don't know what else to do. But uh, thank you for helping me out. Thank you for sticking around. Thank you for for not uh, not going out. And this woman will get frustrated. No, I am going to get what I want to have. And so she set out on a particular day to make sure that everyone had a job. Yo, you, I need you to go into town and get these things for me. Okay, I'll do that. No, I need them done now. Now get going. And one by one, she got all the ones out in the different various places so that they were uh, not in the house. And once she got everything done, she snuck up on Joseph and Joseph is in there. He now he is now in the house with her by himself. Joseph was trying to avoid this. But here, here it is. And just understand how conniving that she is. Now it says that that it came to pass after these things. It came to pass after these things. After all this stuff was done. Maybe it was that she wanted something in the house that Joseph had charge of. And wanted to use this as blackmail for him. She's an evil woman. Evil woman will use things, whatever they, things they need to get what they want. And don't know if she really wanted Joseph. Or if she wanted something that Joseph was in charge of, and if she could lure Joseph into this, then she could use that as blackmail. You will give me this. You will write this check for me. You will get this money out for me. Otherwise, I'll tell my master what you did. And it could be something we don't know because the Word of God doesn't tell us anything more than that. It said there, it came to pass after these things. So after all these things, after he gave charge over everything in the house, this is when all this began. She saw him as attractive. She saw him as having something that she wanted. Now, there was something else that was trying to get him to yield too. It wasn't just her. She was trying to get him to yield for selfish motives, for whatever they might have been. But understand that the devil had to know the best way to disqualify Joseph was to get him into a sin that dishonored God, that dishonored himself, and would make him an outcast with those in power over Egypt. And if he could get Joseph to get into this sin, then he could disqualify him from whatever purpose God had. Now the enemy often will try this way first. Before going into a more forceful option, he's going to try and get you to yield to temptation. That's what the Word of God calls it. Yield to temptation. The first thing the the enemy always tries to do is to get you to yield to temptation. So the woman comes, she tries to get Joseph to yield. Joseph probably doesn't have any other woman in his life, probably doesn't have any prospects for other women in his life. And then she comes along. 
Think of some other places in the garden. They yielded. Cain, he yielded. There was no force. There was no coercion. At the Tower of Babel, they yielded. Achan, he yielded. He was tempted. He saw the things. There was no coercion. There was no forcing that was involved. He just had the temptation and he yielded to it. Many of the kings of Israel and Judah, they yielded to temptation. No one forced them. No one pushed them into a place where they they couldn't resist. They just yielded. And most of the things that you'll see in the Word of God are people who yielded to temptation. But then, when there's resistance, I'm not yielding, I'm not giving into that, things become more forced. Pharaoh went out to kill the Hebrew babies. They didn't, the people didn't yield to this, they were forced into killing the babies. Different levels of force were used. Moses wouldn't yield to the people. So they tried to force him to go. Aaron says they forced him into making the golden image. Then there's prophets like Elijah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and others. They resisted the temptation to yield to the things of the people. And so they came at him more forcefully. They tried to carry Joseph or Jeremiah off by force. Actually, they did carry him off by force because he wouldn't yield to what they wanted to do. Elijah would not yield to what the people around him wanted him to say or wanted him to do. So they tried to force him. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they resisted the worship of the golden golden image. Others yielded. The temptation was put up there, bow and worship. In Daniel chapter 3, they resisted. So more force was applied. Disciples, they wouldn't yield to not preach in the name of Jesus. So they found more resistance. They found more force. But know this. Does God ever force people to obey? Does God ever force people to obey? Does not. He wants us to willingly obey. He doesn't force people to get saved. He doesn't force people to get healed. You name it what it might be. He doesn't force people to receive the promises of God. He doesn't force people to do what it is that God wants them to do. He wants people to willingly obey. Verse 11. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she called him by his garment saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. He was getting out of there. No, we're, I'm, not, I'm not sticking around for this. I don't want to see where this gets to. I'm just leaving. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, See, he has brought it into us a Hebrew to mock us, he came in to, to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So he kept his garment with her until his master came home. And then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. And so it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. Isn't it amazing? How people who have concocted a scheme to get you to give in, to get you to, to do what they want, to force you into a thing, that if you get out of it, they come up with a lie on the instant. Right then, come up with a lie. And begin to bring other people into the lie. Now this woman's character is, is part of who she is. And this person's character has been going on for a while. 
this is who she is. Joseph is probably not the first one that she has uh, targeted. Whoever was in charge of the house before, she may have targeted them. Whoever was good looking to her before, she may have targeted them. This is probably not the first time Potiphar's going around about this. <clears throat> but she brought this accusation. He came in. I, I screamed out. He got nervous, ran off. I got his garment. Here he is. So this temptation, it gradually grew in its boldness. She's getting bolder and bolder with this thing. <clears throat> now it does not say in all the lists, when Joseph gave his list, why he's not going to go along with this. You will notice that one of the things he does not say is his lack of desire. He does not say he doesn't de- desire to, to uh, be with this woman. He says, no. Uh, you're out of, you're off base. You're out of my, uh, my zone there, my area I'm supposed to be in. He sees this against, as a sin against God. But understand this temptation was constant. It kept going on. Day after day after day after day. If you have a temptation that is coming upon you day after day after day, every time you go into work, you know you are facing that woman who's trying to get you to compromise yourself, who's trying to get you to do some things. What happens if you are a man of God like Joseph is? What is it that you would begin to do as a man or a woman of God facing those things? Would you not make it a matter of prayer? Father God, I'm going into work today. I need your help to undo all the plans that this woman has against me to try and pull me into a situation that's compromising. And probably many times that whatever it was that she was doing got foiled. Somebody that he had asked help from came in. Somehow it didn't come out the the way that she had planned. And he saw this. He probably was going back afterwards. Thank you, Father, for helping me out today. I thank you that you'll help me out tomorrow. And there were probably situations like this that had gone on. Because if you were Joseph and you were facing this situation on an ongoing basis, would it not be part of your prayers? Would you not be expecting God to help you out? And then this happens. And then Joseph runs off. Now, what do you think? If if you're Joseph, what would your prayer be? Father God, you know that she is going to make up some kind of lie about me. I pray that that lie is brought to the light. I pray that that lie is seen as the evil that it is. I pray that her character against my character won't stand. Wouldn't you be making a prayer along those lines? I mean, you'd be saying something around there, wouldn't you? But here we're going to see that the thing that an evil person conspired to do against Joseph succeeded. He was not protected. At least it would seem that way to Joseph. If you were in Joseph's shoes and this situation was coming upon you daily, every day you were facing this, every day she was coming after you, every day she's trying to get you isolated, and you can't get out of it, you can't go to Potiphar and say, hey, get your wife to back off. That's not going to go over well. He's a slave. He can't just go off and find work someplace else. He has no choice but to be there And this is the situation that he's facing. He is dependent on God. If you were in Joseph's shoes and this happened, would you feel that God let you down? Can you see that Joseph might be tempted to think, God let me down? And would this be the first time? What about when Joseph was thrown into the pit? 
did God let him down? God, why is it that this is coming, coming upon me? What about the dream that you, how, why would you give me dreams like that and then I get sold into slavery? How is this possible? God, why would you have these dreams? Why would I, why would I be so faithful? And this is the end result. The person who was not faithful to you is the one who comes into success and I go down into prison. And so it was, verse 19, when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. I don't know if this is, a, is a looking at the words too much, but I want you to do notice this. It does not say who he was mad at. It doesn't say that he was mad at Joseph. It says that his anger was aroused. Was his anger aroused at his wife? Because she has made an accusation and he has to do something about this so that he would lose the employee that brought the most success to his business. I don't know which way it will go. We'll probably wait till we get to heaven to find that out. But he's mad at somebody. He's either mad at Joseph because he believes his wife or he's mad at his wife because he believes Joseph. He's going to believe one or the other. Now, the testimony of Joseph all through this would probably tell Potiphar, who is a, he's a smart man. He does not get to the place that he's at being dumb. He probably can see who his wife is. He can probably see the lack of character that she has. Lack of integrity that is there. He can probably see some of the evil that she has planned out in other places. Then he, I, I cannot see a scenario in which he believes his wife over Joseph. It is possible that that is what happened. But I don't find myself, when I put myself in the, in the scriptures and begin to live this out, I don't see any way that that comes about. And so it was, verse 19, when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. Now, did Potiphar feel that he was being forced? We know that Joseph was being forced into some things. And in this situation, this wife was trying to get him to yield to temptation. And since he wasn't, he was now going to try and force him. And that forcing began to increase more and more, trying to get this until finally we got him in the house by himself. A lot of forcing going on in here. Now, where did Potiphar put Joseph? In Genesis thirty-seven thirty-six, now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. In thirty-nine one, which we already read, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian. In verse twenty, then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. So Potiphar puts him in a prison. Potiphar is called the captain of the guard. He puts him in the prison. This is the prison which Joseph will be in. Then we get to chapter 40. We're jumping ahead here, but in verse 3. So he put them, talking about the two that had the dream. We're jumping ahead on that, but you, you, you know there were two people who had a dream that Joseph interpreted. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. Now this is Pharaoh. Pharaoh has taken one of his officers who is the captain of the guard. Who is the captain of the guard? 
seems to be Potiphar, unless Potiphar has been replaced during this time. But there's there's no reason for us to think that. But the, the captain of the guard, he Pharaoh took these two um, employees of his. One was the cupbearer, and one was the baker. I will get into more of this later on. But if you have something going on with the cupbearer and the baker, then this is a food-related item. What kind of food-related item would cause a king to get so concerned as to want to execute them? Something happened with the food that seemed to bring poison to the king, to the pharaoh. He sees a conspiracy. He sees something going on, so he's taken two of the people that were involved in the food and he put them into the prison. And he took them to the captain of the guard. And he said, these prisoners, you put them in here, I'm going to do some investigation. We're going to find out who it is that caused this conspiracy, who it is that caused this this thing to go on, and then I'll let you know. And so, captain of the guard, again, could be executioner, could be one of the responsibilities were there because of that word. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. Where was Joseph confined? The place where Potiphar put him, which is a, uh, a prison where the king's prisoners were confined. These would be considered the king's or the pharaoh's prisoners. Verse 4, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. The captain of the guard. Who is the captain of the guard? That would be Potiphar. If Potiphar is angry at Joseph, mad with Joseph, would he put him into a prison in which the person who was in charge of the prison, Potiphar is not in charge of the prison, he has somebody in charge of the prison, but he is still the captain of the guard. There's another term that is used for the person who's in charge of the prison. And we'll see that. But if he is, he, he bypasses the guy who's in charge of the prison and he comes right to Joseph and says, Joseph, I need you to watch over these two. Does that sound like he's mad with him? Does it sound like he still trusts him? And in, and we'll see some more that in here of reasons why it would seem that he trusts them. And it says he served them so they were in custody for a while. We don't know what a while was, but it was more than just a couple of days. It was a while. In um, verse 19, so it was when his master heard the words, uh, we don't want to go over that one. Hang on a minute. Did I recopy some? Sure did. Which means I probably didn't um, pull the other ones out. Verse 21. Can you pull that up on the screen for me? But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Now there, the keeper of the prison, this is the guy who's in charge of the prison. So Potiphar has a prison and he has somebody who's over charge of that prison because his duties are, are others. So the Lord was with Joseph and he showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Why would the keeper of the prison have favor with someone if Potiphar is in charge of this prison? This man answers to Potiphar. If Potiphar is mad with Joseph, would he tell him to trust him? It wouldn't make sense that he would do that, would he? Now go on. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. 
So the keeper of the prison, he puts everything into his care. This is following exactly like Potiphar did. If he's following in the same pattern that Potiphar did, then Potiphar must feel pretty good about the pattern that he followed and told him to follow the same thing. Whatever you need him to do, have him do it because whatever you put in his hand, it will be successful. His God will make sure of it. And the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Does not sound exactly like what happened with Potiphar. So Potiphar comes down to the man he put in charge of this prison and the other verses of scriptures we'll get to down the, down the road. I, I didn't copy all of them over. But it seems that this prison is in Potiphar's house. So he kept him close by. So he can keep an eye on him because he doesn't like the situation that Joseph has put in because of his wife. And so he puts him into this situation. We're trying to treat him good. He's in charge of the, of the prison, which means he has a lot more privileges than other people else do that are in the prison. So Potiphar, as far as I can tell from this, this story, does not believe his wife. He believes Joseph. But he has to do something. So he puts him into a prison where he's close by and he can keep an eye on him and try and uh, help him out with some things along the way. So it would, so it would seem. Because notice how quickly the keeper of the prison trusts Joseph. So he must have put a good word in for him. Now, if you were Joseph, you might be wondering, where is God in this? He keeps going backwards. Why was a lie allowed to stand against the truth? Would some of you have that question? Why was a lie allowed to stand against the truth? Shouldn't the truth expose any lie? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever seen a lie stand up and the truth not seem to to be around? How is it that a lie can be allowed to stand against the truth? Where was the testimony of those that were under him? How come the, the guys that he helped out, why weren't they standing up and saying, hey, we know Joseph didn't do it. Hey, Joseph has told us this has been going on. He's been asking us to help him out. Why doesn't, why don't they stand up? Well, they felt fear for their life, I guess. And they decided we're not going to get on that side. And so they continued to go on and stay quiet. Now, this puts Joseph in the prison that he will be pulled out of and brought to Pharaoh. Does this mean that this was the only way God could get him to Pharaoh? So he ordered things to be, to accomplish this. Did God order the affairs of Joseph's life in such a way so that he could get him into this prison because it was through this prison that he could pull him into this position. Now that's what some people would tell us. How many times have you heard the story of Joseph taught? Well, God needed him in that prison because when he's in that prison, then God can take him from there and elevate him out. Really? Does God only have one way to accomplish things? To me, that doesn't seem right. And we're limiting God here. And what, we're, what we are seeing here in the scripture is we are looking at a flesh or a reasoning level of understanding of scripture that has kept people from understanding what God can do. So many times people see bad things, evil things happen in their life and they have determined, well, just as Joseph had to get into the prison in order for God to do things, I have to get really, really low. I have to have these bad things happen in my life. I have to have all this stuff happen so that God can bring me to the place where he wants me so that this can go on. And that flesh level understanding that 
low-level understanding of what the Word of God is teaching has caused people to be in bondage to where they just accept whatever comes their way. God must have a reason. God must have a purpose. And whatever it is, God can pull me out of the prison just like He did with Joseph. You're telling me that's the only way that He could have done this? Just because we see God use something in Scripture does not mean that's the way God wanted it to happen. That's the only way God wanted it to happen. No matter what people or the forces of darkness does to us, God will still find a way to accomplish His plan. You see, that's a better understanding to take from this. No matter what people connive to make up lies about you, and get people to put you into places that you didn't deserve to be in, God will take that and turn it around. No matter what. God didn't order, God didn't want that. This, this evil woman in Potiphar's house is not being used of God. She is being used of the devil. Because the devil knows I gotta get him out of this place because whatever God has intended for him, I gotta stop it. Because obviously it's going to be good for the people of Israel and I want Israel dead. He wants Israel wiped out. we got to make sure that the descendants of Abraham do not flourish and do not prosper. Which probably tells you that the famine is coming not from God but from Satan. He is orchestrating a, a famine. God sees it because He's the God of this world. But God sees it and God says, I see your famine. I'm going to raise you with seven years of prosperity. And I'm going to have a person in place who can do all that. The devil doesn't know all these things. He's trying to put together his plan. And one of the things is to get Joseph out of the way. He's doing his best to get Joseph out of the way. This is not God's plan being executed. This is the evil plan against the things of God. Just because you see evil things prosper against God's people does not mean God is behind them. But God can overcome them. Now, the enemy or man's evil nature are behind things that are forced on you. God is not behind things that are forced on you. That is always the enemy or man's evil nature. They're the ones that are behind things that are forced on you. I tried to cram all this into the end here as best I can. I gave you a little bit of space if you want to write some of this stuff in. But both will first try and get you to yield. Both the enemy, Satan's kingdom, and Man, evil men, will try and get you first to yield to the evil plan that they have. Because if they can get you to yield, it will be better for them. So the first thing they will try and do is to get you to yield. They get you to think that I will miss out. So many in the Word of God gave in here, feeling that they, uh, that what they want will be put out of reach if they don't compromise, if they don't go after this, if they don't do these things. These are the things of this world offered to those who will yield. And how many places do we see in the Word word of God that attest to this? When Jesus talks about the soil, their soil that saw the things of this world and they went after them instead of staying with the things of God. And this is what the enemy wants to try and do. Here's some nice little shiny things in the world. You won't be able to have these if you don't compromise yourself, if you don't go after these things, if you don't live your life this way. If you don't accept the world's view of marriage, 
if you don't accept the world's view of male and female now. If you don't accept the world's view of uh, God's way of being married before you're living together. If you don't accept God's will for all these things. If, if you don't compromise. If you don't give in. You are going to miss out. People are not going to receive your testimony. People are not going to want to hear what you have to say. You need to compromise. You, they're just trying to get you to yield. Should that fail, strong coercion is next. We're going to use strong coercion. We're not forcing you, but we're going to try and strongly coerce you into doing the next thing. This is like peer pressure. <clears throat> Everyone else is going along. What's the problem? Come on, just go for it. And all the, the peer pressure, people around you, they're doing it. They're going after this. They're putting this on. They're doing this thing. They're going this way. They're accepting this doctrine. Peer pressure comes. After that, if you don't give in because of the peer pressure and you stand up against the peer pressure, after that there are threats. My belief in those threats and or fear of it is what empowers the threat. My belief in those threats and or the fear of it is what empowers those threats against me. The coming doom like a plague, a virus, catastrophic event is always overemphasized and doesn't materialize the way it is planned. Things are, are prophesied. Global warming, global cooling, great ice melt, the great freeze, all the different things that they try and do. Asteroids coming and crashing into the earth. They want to get you to, to believe whatever threat is coming so that if you believe the threat, then you will give in and do what is being said. No one's forcing you to. We're just having some threats and we want you to yield because of the threats. Remember the disciples? They had threatenings against them. Now in the garden, the devil implied you won't be gods if you don't listen. Trying to get them to yield. You're going to miss out on some things. And so they yielded. If they wouldn't have given there, there would have been some strong coercion that was done. After that, there were some threats. I'll bet you this woman with Joseph had some threats. If you don't give in, if you don't do this with me, there were probably some threats that were in there. <clears throat> Think of some other times when this was done. Abraham. Abraham was getting close to Egypt. Was Abraham supposed to leave the land of promise? Was he supposed to leave the land of Canaan? He gets to the land of Canaan and finds out there's a famine there. So what's he decide to do? I'm going to go on down to Egypt. God never told him to go down to Egypt. He was supposed to be there in the, in the land of promise. And if we, we went through Abraham's life before, we saw that God didn't speak to him until he got back in there. But he decides to go on down there. As he's going on down to Egypt, he begins to feel a threat. They're going to kill me for my wife. And so he decides to give in and to yield to lying and then misrepresenting the truth. Remember the Israelites? We don't know what has become of this Moses. And so because of that, we're going to go off here and, and do what we want to do. Elijah had a threat from Jezebel and he ran off. There was the golden image that was set up and how many Israelites that were brought in captive were bowing down to that golden image. 
because of the threat, you will die if you don't bow. That was just a general thing, a general call. But when when they stood up and they said, "We're not going to bow. We're not going to give. We're not going to give into this. We're going to stand up against it." Then they were threatened specifically. If you do not bow to this golden image when the music plays, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, music plays, bow. There was the threat. In the end times, there will be an image that will be set up and you cannot buy or sell if you don't bow. If I can't buy and I can't sell, I'll probably die. There's a threat that's there. And then finally comes complete force. You do this or you die. Letters to the churches in Revelation, death of the apostles. You can put the the um, <clears throat> the uh, folks who bowed to the didn't bow to the golden image. This is it. This is the final one. Complete force. Either you do this, or we will kill you. We will end your life. We saw the death of all the apostles except for John, because of the 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 threats turned into more than threats. It turned into a finality. Do this, or we will burn you. We will cut off your head. We will kill you. We will do whatever it is that we're going to do. And many other martyrs face the same thing. The fact the church of, uh, that uh, John had the letters to the churches, they even told him, some of you will die. I saw this report. This is from a recent news report. This came out, I believe it was this week. And you probably didn't hear it because who in the world here listens to CNN? I wouldn't have heard it except uh, somebody that I listened to had uh, read it for me. I didn't actually read it. I heard her say these words. I am not telling you words that I heard secondhand, thirdhand. I am telling you words that I heard this person say on CNN. She is the medical analysis. Her name is Lena Wynn. L-E-A-N-A-W-E-N if you want to write it down and look it up. She is the former Planned Parenthood president. The former Planned Parenthood president. So I wrote down the words that she said. You can look this report up and hear her say it yourself if you want to. Here's her words. This is talking about the vaccine. You know they're trying to force people to take the vaccine. Now, I'm not telling you that if you take the vaccine, you're going to hell. I won't ever tell you anything like that. Because that's what, that wouldn't be true. That's, there's, there's nothing about the vaccine that's the mark of the beast or anything like that. And it's not going to condemn you if you take it. And it's not going to do anything for you if you stay, stay away from it. Uh, I'm not doing it because I feel that I'm a whole lot healthier if I stay away from it. And I have no intention of going along with it or being forced to. Or, or But if you have, and people, some people have because of the situations that they're in, they feel like they, they that's fine. I'm not going to force you not to get it to, because that, that's not God. God doesn't force people to do anything. I'm not going to coerce you or, or anything like that. If you decide that you need to get it, you go ahead and you, you do that. I have decided I'm not. I don't care who hears that either. Mr. Joe wants to, uh, come knock on my door with one of his little minions. <laughs> We're ready. But here's what she said. We need to make vaccination the easy choice. Anybody hear this? 
it needs to be hard for you to remain unvaccinated. Right now, it's kind of the opposite. Unvaccinated people can at the moment go about their lives as normal without any consequence. But at some point, these mandates by workplaces, by schools, I think it will be important to say, hey, you can opt out, but if you want to opt out, you have to sign these forms. You have to get twice weekly testing. Basically, we need to make getting vaccinated the easy choice. God is never behind forcing people to do anything. He's not behind forcing them to get born again. He's not going to force them to get filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not going to force them to believe the Word of God. It is the choice of the person to do so. And all the way up until now, if you wanted to get vaccinated, it is your choice. But suddenly something is changing. The only time in the Word of God, Old Testament, I gave you a couple of them, but Old Testament or New Testament, the only time when choice is limited or eliminated, it is never by God. Not a single time. Now God will say, here is my way. If you choose another way, then this is what's going to happen to you on that way. God doesn't have to cause that. He's telling him, if you decide to not follow after me, then the enemy is going to come in and he's going to start taking from you. I'm telling you the way to avoid that. The way to avoid that is follow after me. Honor my statutes. Then I can get in there and protect you against all these things. But if you choose, if that's what you want to do, he doesn't force them. He won't stop them from doing it. But the enemy is not that way. Just in the lives that I gave you. With Daniel. With uh, the golden image that was set up. With the, the, the lion's den. With uh, Elijah. With Ezekiel. How many times are the, there's no choices? No, we are going to force you. When Jeremiah would not give them the word that they wanted, what did they do? They forced him to go to Egypt with them. This is the way of the enemy. If you ever see force being applied in this way to eliminate choices, it is not the hand of God. It doesn't mean what they are trying to get you to do is by itself evil. It means that there are powers that are involved that are evil that are trying to get you to go in a certain direction. Now, this isn't in in yours. You can write this in if you want to. I put the first part in there. Why not, if you are the evil one, if you are the forces of darkness, why not just start with greater force? Why in the world start with trying to get people to yield and then trying to use strong coercion and then trying to keep going to the other steps until finally you just force them to do what they're going to do? When you were over in Germany, people were forced into shooting different ones or forced into uh, killing people they didn't want to even want to kill. They were forced into it. Some people stood up and said, no, we're not going to, and then they were killed. And so other people saw that, <clears throat> and they, uh, they gave into it. But why not just start with the greater force? If that is the end result, if that is the end game, if that is where the, the, the lengths with which you are willing to go, why not just do that? I don't know about you, that's the question I asked when I was looking at all this. I'm seeing how else is laid out in the Word of God. Why not just start with the greater force right off the bat? 
Why in the world play around with it? Why in the world try and get them to yield? First, and this is what came to me, the evil in the motivations for the schemes devised, the evil in the motivations, I'm sorry, the evil in and the motivations for, I misread that, the evil in and the motivations for the schemes devised become more exposed the greater the force utilized. In other words, the greater force that is used to get you to comply, the more the evil that is in their plans and the motivations that they have will be exposed. So the reason that the enemy tries to get you to give in to a a lesser area, like just to yield. You see, when Adam and Eve yielded to the evil that was proposed to them in the garden, when they yielded to it, Everything wasn't exposed. But if they would have resisted, that evil would have come out. The woman who came against Joseph, the evil that she had planned wasn't exposed in the beginning when she's just making googly eyes at him. But as she became more forceful, as she became more, uh, more of a pursuit and became a daily thing to where she just would blatantly go out there and say, this is what I want you to do. And she began to, uh, orchestrate things so that she was in the house by herself with him. The evil that was in her was exposed. And I'll bet you that Potiphar saw it. You see, you cannot get to that level of forcing this without also exposing the evil. When Germany got to the place and they were forcing people to do all these things, the evil that was in that regime was exposed. The motivations that were there were exposed. And people could see it. The enemy knows that the more force we have to use, the more is exposed on our end. And when you begin to expose that, people who may have complied already see that evil and say, hold on a minute, I will not go along with this. And they will pull back. But in order for that to happen, there have to be some people who will stand up to it and say, no, I will not give in. I will not comply. Now contrast that with the exposure of the love and mercy of God. The more His ways become known. The more we know about the ways of God, the more we see His motivations, our motivations of love, motivations of mercy. The more we see the greatness of His plans that He has for us. The the love that He has for mankind. The more that I see the ways of God, the more I see the love and the mercy of God. But the more I see the ways of the enemy, the more I see the evil and the hatred and the selfish motivations that are part of there. So Joseph here, because he has resisted, because he has not given in, has exposed all the evil of this woman. And I think that Potiphar saw the evil that was going on and put him in a, in a respectable place and put him in a place of this, of this prison. But it was a place that was in his house. It was a place in which he could watch over him and it's a place that you can make sure that, that Joseph was taken care of because he knows he didn't get a, a good deal of this. And if it was in Joseph's house, I wonder how many visits were made from Potiphar to the prison. Joseph, we're facing this in the house. What do you think we should do? How should we handle this? And Joseph was probably still helping Potiphar's house from within the prison because Potiphar knew this is a good man. And the evil of his wife was even more exposed than it was before. 
because probably she never met anybody who resisted to the degree that Joseph did. And she had to come out and just be blatantly evil. And everything had to be exposed that she was doing. So just know this about the enemy. When you stand up to the enemy and you say, I will not comply with what the enemy wants to do, we are forcing the enemy to expose who they are. And that's a good thing. And God wants people to do that. Do you know that when Daniel resisted, he exposed the evil motivations and the evil that was concocted against him? And what happened to that evil? The king wiped out that evil. He took all those men who made that plot and threw them into the lion's den and they all died. The evil that was set up for the golden image, what happened to it after the three men decided to stand up against it and they were thrown into the fiery furnace? When they came out of the fiery furnace, the evil of that plot was exposed. The, f- the phoniness of the God that they served was exposed and God was made great. When they came after Elijah with that evil and he stood up and resisted it, what happened on that mountain? But the greatness of God was exposed and his mercy for the people was there. And you can keep on going with time after time when people stood up against the evil. Yes, they faced some hard times. Yes, they faced some some problems. They faced some situations where it looked like evil got the upper hand. But they stayed with it. Because they stayed with it, evil had to come out. And the evil that they were was exposed. And if you go through the book of Revelations, you will find the same thing happens because of the resistance of two witnesses and the resistance of 144,000 of the Jewish people and the resistance of other people who stood up with them and became born again and were martyrs. Because of all that resistance, the evil of the regime that came against God is exposed. Don't ever think that God cannot defeat a lie, even though the lie seems to have gained some strength, even though it seems to have been successful. Continue to resist what is evil and don't lose heart. Father, I thank you for the encouragement we see from the life of Joseph. Even though it seems this lie was successful, we see that in the end it failed. And what the devil intended to do to bring Joseph down did not bring him down. And you were able to use the very things the devil intended for evil for good. I know that if this had not gone this way, there would be another way that you would have brought Joseph to the place that you had for him. But we can learn from the ways that he went. We can become even better at standing for the things of God. Standing for what we know to be true. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.